COPcast, 12 Days of COP. I'm presenter and journalist Peg Alexander, and in partnership with academic think tank, the Green Economics Institute, each day during COP26 in Glasgow, I'm having chats with people from around the world, looking at the big topics we need to get a grip of if we're to hit the Paris Agreement. We're going to cover a broad range of subjects. The chats are going to be short, informal, and hopefully inspiring and informative. And you never know, we might even manage some laughs along the way. I started working and campaigning on climate issues in 1989. Gosh, such a long time ago. Now the world has woken up to the fact that we don't have any time left. But are world leaders ready to accept that it's no more business as usual? Today we're going to talk about individual activism and how that fits with system change and the big picture stuff that's been discussed at COP. Uh, I've got with me, uh, he knows that I'm going to say this, uh, Adam Smith, one of my heroes. I know you're shaking your head Adam but you are one of my heroes. Tell people what you've done. I don't know how to say it like anymore because it's like it, 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 it winds me up Peg like not not speaking to you but speaking about the things like I've been doing this for eight years now and I'm still droning on about um, the fact that eight years ago I told people that there's something fundamentally wrong with our food system we need to stop this and I'm still speaking about it now and so yeah it infuriates me talking about it now saying I have shown you the reality of what's going on and still not been thinking about it so yeah yeah so I've just for people <laughs> no 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 just for people who don't know effectively you founded the junk food pay as you yeah. waste movement you started it off uh, a small project in armley and leeds it went global with it was about eight within about 18 months didn't it it went global the whole concept yeah. get the junk yeah. food you got yourself uh in trouble literally nicking food yeah. out of skips and stuff like that yeah. you got yourself in trouble with trading standards people but you started a whole uh, a whole a whole movement i'll never yeah. forget the time when uh i was uh, recording uh doing holding the microphone for you to do a record of a national broadcaster in the uk and you were trying to explain that concept of actually this is about it's wrong when food goes yeah. to waste and yeah. uh, you didn't care if the pro you actually wanted your project not to exist because you yeah. wanted to stop the food waste and you wanted people it. to be full of food and yeah. that's moved on now to supermarkets all yeah. sorts basically you just don't want anyone to go hungry you don't want any food to go to waste do you yeah it's it's, it's, it's very very simple if you put it, it um in, in in that light is that we grow enough food on this planet to feed everybody i think it's about six thousand calories per person per day is grown on this planet and yet we have over a billion people on the planet going without food uh, we have a rising number of people in the country using food banks and we have a rising number of children going to school hungry Obviously, that isn't all down to just the way that we access food. There's a lot of social and financial issues that are attached to that as well, which I completely understand and respect. But the fact that um, only yesterday I was reading an article about places in the UK now have food deserts where fruit and vegetables isn't accessible for up to two miles or more uh, in certain areas. And yet I'm sat in a warehouse full of pallets and pallets of fruit and veg that's going to waste. For me, given the fact that I've I'm neurodivergent and I, I see things in a very black and white way. I, I, I completely don't, I can't comprehend the grey areas. I don't know why food isn't just available to everybody. But then I understand all the politics and um, the corruption and all the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes that I witness every single day. And, 
all I do is just trawling through all that nonsense and just trying to create a much more accessible, sustainable and local food system where people just get access to food. And, you know, we can we can all maybe uh, collaboratively fight some of these uh, fights uh, together rather than having uh, stigma and poverty and all the other things that are attached to some of these issues, which uh, infuriate me, if anything, because uh, food shouldn't be just available to all people. It should be uh, available to everybody. And, as you know, I've been championing. And that was the pay as you feel now. thing, because I mean, I, that's that. Yeah. That's the thing I remember from that interview was that you were saying you, you, in a way, you didn't care whether people paid for it or not. It was no, exactly, exactly, and, and then people still don't understand it now. I'm still teaching mm. people about pay as you feel, and even yesterday I was talking to somebody about pay as you feel, money, time, or skills in exchange for food, and people just don't feel valued. People don't feel they've got anything to offer. People feel like it's not for them. It's like it's food. It's for you. You're a human being. It's a basic human right to have access to this. Therefore, you shouldn't have to justify yourself in any way, shape or form as to why you need it. Of course you need it. What I tackle every single day is the greed and the corruption and the old, all the stigma attached to it. Um, and I even have to teach my own volunteers and staff sometimes, especially recently around, we do this build a box where you can pay £10 and come into the warehouse and you can get whatever you want. And you should see people piling it up and then volunteers going, but look at all them. And I'm like, the way that I see it is that society is split up into three sections. There's the... Um, top 10% of people who are over generous and I have to work with to get, you know, uh, support, financial support, um, who, who volunteer with us, etc. Then you've got the middle 80%, which is pretty much all of everybody, me, you, everybody else, who just come and um, uh, behave, you know, like a normal human being and treat things with respect and are kind to one another and generally understand the basic principles of being a human being within a society. And there's your bottom 10% who people say take advantage or take a piss. And I was like, well, you just don't focus on them because if you did, you just exhaust all of the mm. emotions and you get wound up by it. Just focus on the 80%. That's all you need to do. And that's what I try and do every day in life. Well, I think you've been really can do throughout <laughs> this because, you know, I mean, it did move. It moved so quickly globally. For me, it was really interesting because you started this way before Greta Thunberg was, was someone we knew of. It shows yeah. one, two, three people with a really simple concept, a simple idea and drive and energy can actually make something that changes the yeah. world really, really quickly. Yeah, Greta wasn't even in high school when I started the Real Jungle Project. And, um, you know, if you look at some of the key activists and individuals around the world that are spreading these messages, there's more, there's more people than just Greta. I mean, Greta's obviously got the limelight for, for the right reasons. And, and, you know, I support everything that that girl does and says because... I know how it has been an individual activist and um, having lots of people challenge you and, and dismiss you and uh, discredit you. And I, I understand what that means, especially given the fact that I'm also a neurodivergent of ADHD and I'm pretty sure uh, you know she has similar mm -hmm. qualities, I'll say, uh, to myself and how mm -hmm. that's also challenged in the, in the public arena. And I just think that she's an incredibly brave and inspiring human being, which has inspired millions of people around the world. And it does take, uh, even though we, I would like to create a much more kind of cooperative and linear society that everybody has, you still need the people that have the drive and passion to be able to uh, maybe direct people in a certain way. The problem that people like me and Greta have is that uh, a lot of people are walking into the, uh, are walking into it blindly. We're trying to envision new worlds for them in ways that we see things that maybe others don't. And I see a world where everybody has, and when people don't have, it's very, very hard to teach people, this is where we're going to end up, and this is where we're going to go to. And that's the hardest thing. So you've got people that will follow you, no matter what hardcore followers, and I'm sure Greta has millions and millions of those. 
And then you'll have people that are constantly challenging you, the people around you that are supporting you but don't quite understand. And you've got people chasing you as well. And I've had all of that. Um, and it's really, really difficult because you yeah. feel it's the loneliest job in the world. And uh, even though you've got lots of people that know of you and know about you, support you, because sometimes it's very, very, very hard to, uh, to articulate what it is that you're trying to do, even though I want to create a fair world. I don't fully understand what it is I'm trying to do, but I understand where I want to get to. And uh, for me, it's that driving passion to get there and to bring as many people along with me in order to try and create that change that mm. I believe is going to be better for everybody. And I'm not saying I'm completely right, and I do listen and learn from other people um, all over the world, but I try to surround myself with those type of people because I think we're all trying to achieve this, you know, the same goal and, and, and try to end up in the same place. Absolutely. I mean, Saturday, there's going to be marches, demos all over the UK, all over the world. Uh, obviously, a big, massive one in, uh, in Glasgow. Yeah. Where do you see that thing between individual activism, projects like yours that are doing really, um, they're doing very practical stuff, but they're also doing, they are challenging the system, actually, because, you, yeah. you know, uh, where, where do you see that sitting or even demonstrating against the discussions that are going on at COP? Um, I, I completely uh, have no interest in what's being discussed at COP whatsoever. I feel like what's being said in terms of the rhetoric coming out from people who are investing in fossil fuels, jetting across the world, um, you know, you can even question certain human rights in certain countries that are going on. Uh, you look at certain types of agriculture, uh, investment into the meat and dairy industries, all of those things. And then they go away and say that they're investing money into this. Well, it's too late. It is too late. I mean, I know Elon Musk has been uh, slammed recently for some of the quotes that he said, but he mentioned to the, I think it was the UN or one of the local uh, leading world authorities about he will uh, sell shares off and invest all that money into solving world hunger if he's showing how to do it. Well, he's completely right because politically world hunger exists because of politicians. It doesn't exist because of finances. When we wanted a vaccine, politicians came together and created a vaccine and it went across the world because that's what they wanted to do. If they were to remove hunger, homelessness, all these things, they could do it by making a political decision. They choose not to do that. They chose to create a vaccine. They choose not to end homelessness. They choose not to end hunger. So for me, these people have the power and authority, the resources to be able to make these decisions much more easily than people like me who have been shouting on about this for eight years now um, yeah, and, and longer. Greta will probably go on shouting about the things that she cares about for much, much longer than me as well. And these people can make these decisions to make that change very quickly. And it shouldn't be up to people like us to bring it to their attention, to be campaigning and to be uh, committing to these activist approach in order to get them to understand this. They have a better capacity and a, a, a bigger reach than we will ever have. And yet they choose not to. And for me, until they choose to actually do something about it, that's when I'll start being uh, much more involved in what's coming out of uh, places like COP26. I mean, not even to mention the fact that, you know, the, the lack of vegan options and, and plant-based alternatives that are on the menus there and what they're eating. Not saying that everybody should turn vegan, but if you're going to try to uh, inspire the world and, and, and be the, uh, the change that you want others to be, then lead by example. And Biden's cars have obviously... Because, this is crazy. Oh, was it 40-something cars that got flown in from around the world? No, I mean, just it, just absolutely ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we know this. So I see this. Imagine, what I keep thinking about, like, more than anything, is imagine the things that are going on that we don't know. You know, because what is really going on that we see politics in the UK isn't the best right now. Um, you know, if you look at the, the stuff that's going around poverty, the stuff that's going around food waste, all the things that I'm involved with, it doesn't look very good right now. The country doesn't look very good. Brexit covid you know we're not looking very good to the rest of the world 
can you imagine what else is going on that we don't know about? Um, if those are things that we do know about and somehow they're getting away with when it's not being dealt with properly. And that's the thing that worries me the most is that what's going on behind the scenes, the investment, the corruption, the, um, the, the drive for fossil fuels, the drive for mass agriculture, the drive for mass food production. It, it's not going to go away and it's not going to stop just because some people are meeting in, in Glasgow at all. It's going to stop because the people who are outside on Saturday are, are, are going to break that change with their feet and with their voices. And that's the only way it's going to change because they'll be forced into making those changes because we'll, we'll decide. Just like we did with plastics, David Amber does the documentary. We see a turtle with a straw up his nose. We see uh, marine animals with uh, beer can ring poles around the necks. Next minute, all of a sudden, plastic straws disappear, plastic bags disappear. We came together as a global force to say, we got enough of this. We're not doing this anymore. And I think if we put a lot more energy into things like that, um, that matter, homelessness, poverty, food waste, all these things that socially matter to us, I think we could have a, a real big voice and a real big say in creating a lot of that change. Very clear message from you, Adam. Um, we've got to finish there, but as always, I just want to say keep up the amazing, amazing work because uh, I, I know you're still doing it and I know there are people who get fed every day um, by pay-as-you-feel, junk food projects all around the world who wouldn't have been fed otherwise and we're stopping that food going to waste. So thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Peg Alexander at TV Radio Peg on social media. Tune in tomorrow. I'll be chatting to another great guest. You can also check out greeneconomicsinstitute.org.uk.